One of the amazing things about Jesus is that although he claimed to be from God, he didn't hang out with godly people. Uh, He claimed to be holy, but he didn't hang out with holy people. And he claimed to be righteous, but he didn't hang out with righteous people. Which is kind of odd if you think about it. You'd think that the most holy most righteous, most godly person would hang out with the most holy, righteous, godly people. But in fact, the very opposite was true. It was the most unholy, most unrighteous, biggest hell raisers that liked hanging out with Jesus Christ. And the people that he should have connected with, those that wanted to be holy, wanted to be righteous, wanted to be godly, was really the people that crucified him. And that just is kind of strikes me as a little odd. Does it you? I mean, you would think that the most holy, righteous, godly person like Jesus would naturally connect with the most holy, righteous, godly people. But it was those people that just couldn't get quite around the fact that he liked being with unholy, unrighteous, ungodly people. Um, they He not only hang out with those type of people, but the most unholy, unrighteous, ungodly people actually liked him. I mean, think about that. They liked him. And even though they knew that they were in a total different category than Jesus and they would never, ever quite be where he would be, they, even though they knew, hey, if, if he knew what I was thinking right now, if he knew uh, what I did last week, if he knew what I did last weekend, if he knew about my spring break down at the Sea of Galilee, I mean, if he knew all that stuff, um, and yet... That did not keep them from wanting to be around Jesus because Jesus liked being with people who were unrighteous, unholy, ungodly. And I just think that's really different, that the people who liked being around him, though they were nothing like him, they loved being around Jesus. They weren't put off by him. They weren't embarrassed by him. Um, He did not exude this holier-than-thou attitude. They liked being around him. Now, the reason why I can't get past that this morning is that today, all over the United States, all over the world, it's the want-to-be righteous, want-to-be holy, want-to-be godly people that get together, and it's the unholy, unrighteous, ungodly people stay away. For some reason, the church, and it hasn't for generations, has not had the same type of appeal that Jesus did once he was here on this earth. Even though the the church is called in the New Testament to be the body of Christ, that even though Christ is not physically here, we are to be Jesus to people, but yet they don't like hanging around us. That's just, why is that? Why do they like hanging around Jesus, but they don't like hanging around us? For some reason, we're not like Jesus in that way. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. And really, it is the question that's going to determine where we're going to be going at in the future of One Church. Let me tell you the question. Here it is. Here's the question. Why was Jesus so attracted to people who were nothing like him? And why were people who were nothing like Jesus, how come they longed to be with him? That why? Why did people who were nothing like Jesus wanted to be with Jesus, and why did people who were that just, I mean, Jesus, he was nothing like these people. 
He was the son of God. He liked hanging out with people who were broken. I believe that question and our answer to embrace that question is going to determine where we're going to be going at next year as a church, and the next five years, the next ten years, the next thirty years as one church. Because our focus is either going to be on reaching people or keeping people. It can't be both. Reaching people or keeping people. And most churches... You know, once they start getting all this stuff and they're going down a certain road and we've got to worry about keeping people because we got, hey, they pay and they put money in the offering plate and if they don't like it, they leave and then what happens? And so many times churches are controlled by fear and controlled by keeping the safe people happy to keeping the godly people happy, the righteous, the wannabe righteous happy. Yet when Jesus showed up, it was evident he was on a totally different mission because those want-to-be righteous, want-to-be holy, want-to-be godly people did not connect with the Son of God. In fact, they crucified the Son of God because he liked hanging out with prostitutes, whores, sinners, people with addiction problems, people who were broke up, busted up. He loved hanging out with people who were nothing like him. And they liked hanging out with him. Let me put it this way. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've not been to church in a long time, maybe you don't believe in all this stuff, let me tell you one thing about Jesus. You may not like the church. You may not like me. You may not like us. But 2,000 years ago, if you had met Jesus, here's the thing. You would have liked him. And you know what? He would have liked you. And you would have looked into his eyes, into eyes that were just totally devoid of judgment and eyes that were just crystal clear and holy and you would realize wow he knows everything about me and he still loves me that's the type of people that's the type of person jesus was that's the type of people we as a church should be and most often churches just aren't and i want to be honest with you, I, i'm giving my life to asking that question why why is that why did people who had nothing in common with jesus like hanging out with him and why who jesus had nothing in common with those people he liked hanging out with him now um that question that we're asking today and we're only answering that question leads us to one of the most familiar passages in the bible you may have left church 20 years ago but you probably heard this story jesus is telling three stories some people call them parables I don't know what that means. It's just three stories. Jesus tells stories. The stories with a point. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, we, we see the answer to the question, why was Jesus hanging out with people who were nothing like him? Let's look at uh, Luke 15, 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That verse is good. I wonder why people liked coming to hear Jesus, but the same type of people that Jesus attracted really doesn't want to hang around us on Sunday mornings. Have you asked yourself that question? You know, now sinners, we know who a sinner is. A sinner is somebody who's uh, busted up, broken, who sin, who uh, fall short, who um, do bad things. A tax collector is somebody even worse than a sinner. Uh, they're sinners uh, like on steroids, all right? They're like sinners um, 
who were really, 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 really bad. The tax collectors were Jewish people who were traitors to their own Jewish friends, and they were collecting taxes for Rome, who was an occupied force, and they would get rich off of collecting more than the taxes that Rome told them to collect. Everybody hated these people. And these broken up, busted, jacked up people love being around Jesus. Why? Look at this. Keep on reading. So, verse, uh, verse 2 says, This made the Pharisees... Oh, by the way, the Pharisees are the wannabe righteous, wannabe holy, wannabe godly, the people that Jesus should have connected with. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law... What's that next word? Complain. You know what religious people do? Complain. Dear Lord, how come the color of the carpet's not this? And how come my aunt... My aunt uh, uh, Ruth, who had a beard, uh, you know, she gave that picture of Jesus, that velvet picture of Jesus, and how come that's not up? And you know, you, they, they, they fight about silly stuff. All right, um, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was look at that associating with such despicable people even eating with them. I mean, and they're like Jesus is getting in the most intimate compromising situations with these people. I mean, he sees he's golly, but he's going to their homes. They're, in, they're having parties, and he's coming to these things. In fact, they accused him of being a drunken and a glut. Glutton, that means you eat a lot, all right? I mean, you don't get to be those <laughs> labels without hanging out with the Sunday school crowd. I mean, he wasn't hanging out with those people. He was hanging out with the Hellraisers. So he's going, Why? The Pharisees are asking, why are you hanging out with them? They're asking the same question I'm asking you today. Why was Jesus hanging out with such messed up people? All right. Well, Jesus, he has a story to tell. And in these three stories, he gives us the answers. Look at verse 4. Verse 3, excuse me. So Jesus told them the story. I like that. Jesus told them a story. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you... Leave the 99 to go and search for the lost one until you found it. So everybody in Jesus' audience, they're going, okay, you got 100. One goes. You got your 99 here. What you got to do? You're going to leave the 99, and you go and you find the one. And look what happens. Excuse me. Verse 5. And then when you found it, you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. When you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors and rejoice with you because the lost sheep was found. And they're going, yeah, that's what we would do. If you had 100, lost one, you leave the 99 to go find the one. And here's the principle we're going to be looking at through these three stories. When you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is found. Jesus is illustrating a very fundamental point as he builds towards answering the question, why I am the way I am, is you, when you lose something, you focus on the loss to the exclusion of what is secure. How many of y'all ever lost your keys, car keys? Anyone? All right. Those who aren't raising your hand, it's called lying, people. <laughs> All right. So um, if you ever lost your car keys, and what's that you lost your car keys? I says, hey, don't worry about it. You know, at least you got your car, right? Don't worry about those car keys. At least you got your car. Or maybe you lost your house keys. At least you got your house, right? It doesn't work like that. 
Why? Because when you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what you got. That is the point that Jesus is is making here. That's the question that the Pharisees were asking. Why are you are the way you are? All right? You focus on on what you've lost to the exclusion of what you found. Verse 7. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one... What's that next word? Lost sinner. One lost sinner who comes to God than over the 99 others who are righteous. You have it straight away. So Jesus, out of the corner of his eyes, looking at the Pharisees, saying... You guys think you're the found. That's what you're thinking. But I want to just let you know something, righteous people. God is more excited about what's happening over here with these tax collectors and sinners, people who are lost, than he is with you guys, the found. And uh, before they could ask a question, he launches into another story. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins. So let me explain about this. This is not ten dimes. All right? Um, these are extremely valuable silver coins. And that, and that, they had arranged marriages back then. And the dad would give his daughter ten very precious, very valuable coins. And it was, and the, the, the daughter would take the coins and weave them into a headband or to a dress. And it was kind of like bait. Um, it was like, hey, my daughter, she's uglier than homemade sin, but she, you know, she got some moolah, all right? So you need to, you know, and that's kind of how it was. It was called a dowry, but nobody knows what that means. So, but that's how it was. Okay, so she has these very valuable silver coins, and she loses one. She loses one. What's she going to do? She ain't going to go, eh, who needs it anyway? Eh. <laughs> Let me say it like this, ladies. Have you, you have engagement rings? Anybody ever lost a stone in an engagement ring? What do you do? Eh, who needed it? It's just a diamond. Right? No! What do you do? You get, you get out the hoover. All right? You, get it, you start dusting. You start moving stuff. You look, for, you look for the loss to the exclusion of what is found. And what happens when this lady, look at this, verse 8, won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny? You didn't know cranny was in the Bible, did you? Uh, until she finds it, and when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she's found her lost coin. And everybody in the audience going, yeah, that's what would happen. You lose something, you're going to look for it because it's valuable. Because it's valuable. Because you focus on the loss to the exclusion of the found. Look at this. Verse 10. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And before anybody can ask a question, Jesus launches into his third and most powerful story that many of you have heard. Verse 11. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now instead of waiting until you die. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like this. Okay, now, Dad, when you die, I'm going to get everything you got, right? Dad's going, yeah? Um, well, let's just pretend for a moment. Let's pretend that you're dead. And why don't you just go ahead and give me mine? 
I want my stuff now. That is the most disrespectful, most terrible thing a son could say to a father. I know if I said that to my father, you know what my dad would say to me? Okay, let's pretend that you're dead. <laughs> because my dad, he, he is a hunter. He's got like 800 guns in his house. By the way, I'll tell you his address. Don't ever come at night. Because, uh, so anyway, uh, he got four tens, and, and let's pretend that you're dead. He'd go get it, all right? So, um, and I'd be walking in here next week like this, all right? And he says, it's the most disrespectful thing a son could ever say to a dad. It's like saying, you know what? We, the son's going, let's just, you're dead to me. We know our relationship, it's busted up. Some of you, you have fathers that you don't even talk to anymore. It's a busted up relationship. Let's just pretend that, you know, you don't exist and I don't exist. Give me what's mine. And everybody in the crowd are going, what? And then Jesus, wonderful storyteller, says this, that the father agreed. The father agreed and gave, and look at this, look at the next verse. It says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So the son gets what's his, he loads it all up, he goes to the big city, and he goes, and I mean, he is, he is wild. He's having a good time. In fact, look what it says. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings, took a trip to Las Vegas, and there he wasted all of his money on what's that next? Wow. You know what wild living is? Do I even got to explain that? No, I don't. All right? I mean, he, he had women on every arm. He was blinging. He, had, he was throwing party on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, he, seven days. He's got friends. He's, I mean, he just got it all. You know, it's amazing when you got money, you got friends for a while. Uh, money will take the, the pain off the loneliness for a while. <laughs> the problem you got is the same problem this fellow had. The money runs out. Look what it says. It says, um, uh, about this time, the money ran out. All right? Look at there. It says, a great famine. Just, just when you thought it got really bad, the money running out, then a famine comes and nobody, a recession hits. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You can't find a job. And this dude is like, okay, I've, I've blown it all. Now I've got to find me a J-O-B. So he's looking, and the only place he can find a job is with a farmer, and Jesus says a farmer, and he's feeding pigs. Now, in that Jewish culture, you didn't eat pigs. They didn't eat fried, they didn't eat fried chicken. They didn't eat hogmires. They didn't eat chillins. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all ain't from the South, all right? The pickled pig's feet. Don't even know what that looks like, but it looks scary. All right? I mean, they didn't eat bacon, salt. They didn't eat any of that. Because pigs were unclean. You didn't touch pigs. You weren't around pigs. And this Jewish boy is, is feeding pigs. The lowest of the low. You didn't touch them. I mean, it was nasty. And they're feeding the pigs, and he's going, that looks, what they're feeding looks kind of good. That's nasty. All right? And he says, what am I doing? What am I doing? He says, my, my father, he has servants working for him. And they got it better off than what I got, so I'm going to go home, and I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to say, Dad, listen, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not your son. I done messed that relationship up. It's beyond repair. But I'm in need. Give me a job, and I'll work alongside the same people that I mistreated 
when I was your son. But I know you, I can never, you can never be my father again. I can never be your son again. It's too far gone. I, I've messed up that relationship. I've messed it up. So he, he starts formulating this speech, and he gets up, and he wipes the mud off, and he starts going back home. And he's just walking back home. He's walking, and he starts thinking, you know, Dad, please forgive me. I, I, I know I'm not your son. And he just starts thinking. Look at this. So, uh, verse 20, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. That means he was looking for him. And look at this. And was filled with love and compassion. Let me stop right there and say this. That if you are far away from God this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you had a relationship with Jesus, but you left him, you know what? God feels when he looks at you not anger but compassion not anger but love that's how our heavenly father looks at each and every one of us who walks away he says I love you I love you so very much man I love that verse 20 he ran to his son the father ran to his son and embraced him. And as he's telling this story, the Pharisees, these want to be holy, want to be righteous, start going, oh, I think I'm going to throw up. Oh, you and he touched him? You can't touch that. He's been with the pigs. He's so ceremonially unclean. He's not. He's went outside of our traditions. Do you know what he's done to you? You can't touch him. He's nasty. And then Jesus says, and he kissed him. <laughs> Jesus is getting his point across that, you know what, it doesn't matter how far you've ran or how low you've gone, God still loves you. And he's still willing to say, come on, come on, I'll embrace you. I'm going to kiss you. I, I, we're going to put it right. I like that. I like that. Let's keep on going. Oh, man, this, ooh, this is sweet. All right? Uh, verse 22, but his father said to his servants, quick. So the, the, the son's going, hey, Dad, I'm, please forgive me. I shouldn't have done this. I know I'm not your son. And he goes, shh, shh, shh. Quick, bring the finest robe in all the house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Put sandals on his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. We must what? We've got to celebrate. What we saw earlier in that video, <laughs> that's celebration. We gotta celebrate. Why? For the son of mine was dead and now was turned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And the, these tax collectors, these Pharisees. What do you mean he was lost? The son was lost. It, we're gonna find out in a few verses later that the dad knew exactly where the son was at. In fact, he knew what the son was doing. What do you mean he was lost? And then it starts to. To, to sink in, okay, it wasn't lost like where's those car keys. It wasn't lost like where's that sheep or where's that coin. It's lost like what happened to our relationship. The father knew the relationship was broken with his son long before he ever left. That's why he allowed him to go. That's right. He gave him that stuff. Because the sooner he left, the sooner he would come back and the relationship would be put back. And all of a sudden, it starts to sink in why Jesus likes hanging out with people who are broken. 
why Jesus likes hanging out with unholy, unrighteous, and ungodly people. And why unholy, unrighteous, ungodly people who had nothing in common with Jesus like being with Jesus. And you want to know the reason why? It's because that is why God came into the world. That right there. The reason why God came into the world is, and it says a few verses later in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek, everybody say the word seek, and save, everybody say the word save, the found. Is that what it said? The lost. How many of y'all been lost? Ever. I have. All right. All of us, none of us are born in a right relationship with God. All of us are born messed up. And Jesus says, I came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Now look at verse 25. Meanwhile, verse 25, if there was a, um, a soundtrack playing, it would change right here. It would go, bum, 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 bum. Here we go, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, the older son, he heard music and dancing. Can you even dance? And heard dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And they said, your brother's back. Your brother's back. And your father has killed the calf that we've been fattening and has prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his safe return. (laughs) And how did the older son react? That's awesome. Yes. No. Look at this. The older brother was, what was that? Ticked. I could say a few other words, but it wouldn't be pretty. He's angry, and he would not go in the house. The father came out and begged him, but he replied, look at this. All these years I've worked for you, and I've never disobeyed you. He said, I'm one of the 99. I, I have never left you. I'm one of the found. I'm one of the secure. How come you're focusing on him and you're not focusing on me? And look at verse 29. Listen to the wine in this. In all this time, you've never given me one small goat for a feast with my friends. <laughs> really? Want a little cheese with that wine? All right. You, 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 you focus on him, but you don't focus on me. Why is that? And then look at what, what he says in verse 20 and 30. And he squandered his money on I mean, come on, Dad. He's embarrassed your name. Everybody knows what he was doing. You knew what he was doing. He was out blowing it, having a good time. Dad, why why are you focused on him? Why are you focused on him and you're not focused on me? And it's the same question we're asking. Jesus, God, why are you focused on the lost and not on the found? Look at this. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead to me. But now he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Do you want to know why Jesus spent so much time with people who were nothing like him? Because that is why he came into this world. Period. Jesus came for people who had broken and busted up relationships with God. And that is the reason why he left the church here, so that we can be the hands, feet, eyes, and ears of Jesus, so that people could be drawn to us like they were drawn to Jesus. And for some reason, they're not. And you start asking the question, why? That's the reason why we wanted to start a church a year ago today. 
We said, you know what? There's churches on every corner. The implications of this is so huge for us, one church. And I'm going to say something that's very judgmental. I'll go ahead and admit it, but it's the truth. One church, we can either focus on reaching people or keeping people. We can be like every other church, 99% of other churches in America. Let's just focus on the people who are here because they pay the bills. And, hey, I want to know what you pay and how much you give. And, okay, you give a lot, so we're going to treat you more special. And, Pastor, how come my child can't get in that class? It's just too big. And, Pastor, you didn't call me back. Why didn't you give me a call back? Pastor, I got a bunion on my foot. Please come and pray and put some oil. Some of y'all left churches like that. I did. And I never want us to be a church like that. Because God's focus is the lost. And yes, He loves... And Jesus saying, Chris, I love you. I love the people at one church. But I also love nine-tenths nine of people in Clarksburg who don't go to church this morning. I love the... Listen to this. 115,000 people who choose not to go to church here in Clarksville this morning. And that's the reason why we started the church a year ago. It's because we want to create a church for people who don't go to church. For people to say, you know what, I don't understand it, I don't get it, but they talk on my level, and I love the music, and I ain't got to dress up as a fashion show because I am messed up, and I know I'm messed up. And you know what, as your pastor, I know I'm messed up too. And if you want to continue to do church with us, I'm encouraging you, and this is where we're going at the end of the sermon, is I'm encouraging you to think of people that you can invite to church. Because some of you are here and you're so glad you found one church, but you know what? You got people in your unit, you got other soldiers' wives, you got people in your clinic, you got people who work with you in the cubicle next door, and you know what? You've never told them about church. You've never even more importantly told them about Jesus. And I'm encouraging you that this year that each one of us invite 10 people, that you invest your time in those people and say, hey, why don't you come this Sunday? Why don't you come? So my prayer as we close today is this. I'm going to ask every, everybody to close their eyes. If this is your first time in church, I'm not doing anything weird. I just want you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to kiss the person next to you unless she's good looking. Um, <laughs> send your emails on that one. All right. I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes here. And I'm praying that God would bring somebody to your mind. You may not even know their name. It may be somebody who, is, uh, who works at Starbucks, somebody who is at the gas station where you get your gas. Just somebody that you see regularly, not a family member, somebody else. And that I pray that you would pray for them every day this year, every day, that you pray for them. And then even more importantly, I want you to open your mouth and talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And if that's scary, I understand. It's still scary for me, and I'm a preacher. But one of the things I hear God saying so clearly to me this morning, Chris, that even though you're a preacher and nobody likes hanging out with preachers, you need to figure out how you can be a preacher who like the people like hanging out with and being real. So I'm praying right now, Lord, that you would bring people 
to each and every one of our minds that we need to talk to and tell about Jesus. This is what we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.